All right. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be uh, reading through verses 12 through 25. So I hope you all don't, uh, didn't forget too much. It's been a couple weeks where we've been in uh, other areas. But basically, so far, what's, what's been happening is after the death of Stephen, the church has been heavily persecuted, right? And so we've got Saul of Tarsus, who later becomes Paul, who's persecuting the church with the rest of the religious leadership. And because of this, all of the disciples in Jerusalem scatter, right? They're all sent out abroad. And one guy named Philip, Philip goes down to Samaria. Uh Uh-oh, we got a honking horn out there. Philip goes down to Samaria, and in Samaria, he begins to proclaim the word of God. And Christ shows up in the spirit, and he starts healing people. And people start getting saved, and he starts baptizing people. And one of these people is a guy named Simon. Now, Simon's a sorcerer, right? And we ain't talking like he's got a Ouija board at home, and he does some tarot cards. Like, this guy is such an amazing sorcerer, which, by the way, sorcery is real. Witchcraft is real. God just says, don't do it, (laughs) right? Power comes from demons. You don't want to be friends with demons. We clear? Cool. Okay, so Simon's a sorcerer. To the point where it says that all of the people in Samaria called him the power of God. So he's got to be pretty impressive. But as he sees Philip, who's indwelt by the true God, coming and doing signs and miracles and proclaiming the kingdom, it says that Simon also believed, was baptized, and began to follow Philip. So he begins following him and seeing what's going on. And this is where we pick up in Acts chapter 8. And so starting in verse 12, it says, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had not fallen upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. And so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So interesting, uh, interesting little passage here. Um. I want you to go back, let's jump back to verse 18. 
Okay, we're going we're gonna to really digest the middle of this. Some of this we already read. Uh, we kind of overlapped. I want you to notice some things about Simon here, okay? So the title of this message is now, after I changed it, is now Sinful Motives, right? What does that mean to you? Yeah, nothing, but, you know, it's what we do. We title messages, right? So Sinful Motives. So let's go look at verse 18. Now it says that when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. It says he offered them money, saying, give this power to me. Give this power to me. I'll pay you for it. That if I lay hands on anybody, they too will receive the Holy Spirit. Some of y'all are like, man, that's a good deal. How much does it cost? You know, I'd probably, I'd probably pay that fee. You know what I mean? Like, we got, we got Kickstarter. We got GoFundMe. We can make it happen. But here's the issue. You look at the context of the passage, and you look at how it's written, and it says, Simon saw, and he wanted, and he was willing to pay for power. And that's the issue. Right? You know, Adam and Eve in the garden, sin happened because Eve was tempted, and she saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye good for food, right? And it was desirable to make one wise. And so Simon sees this, and really what's happening here is Simon begins to lust in his own heart over what the apostles have, okay? So really what, what he wants is power. So Simon's been following, he's even been baptized, but, but the issue here is that this guy, Simon, is not a man of a pure heart, right? He's not just like, oh, man, I'm so burdened that my people don't have the Holy Spirit. Give me this power so I can go help them. He's not worried about, about the other people's condition. He's not worried about being right with God. He saw something better than what he had. He saw something better than the witchcraft, which all the people followed him for. And he says, ah, man, I'd be willing to pay for that. And so we, what we have is there's an issue with Simon's heart. Simon has a, a greed for power, and really he's got, he's got like a religious lust, okay? I want you to think about those two words, religious lust. It's probably something you've never heard before, right? Partly because I made it up, but it works, right? Um, no. A religious lust is something that we as Christians have to be particularly careful about. It's something that I see a lot of people develop and they don't even realize that they're developing it. And of course, outside the church, as far as outside those who have authentically accepted Jesus as their savior, right? Now, I'm not talking outside the church building because there's a lot of people that are coming in and out of this building that don't know Jesus, right? They call themselves Christians. Outside of the church, there's the unfortunate reality that there are people who join themselves with the church, that join themselves with Christians, that join themselves to organizations and do many great works, even in the name of Jesus. But it's out of a religious lust, okay? So this is what we're going to really take a look at tonight. But let's, let's keep going. Verses 20 through 21. It says that, uh, but when Peter said to him, or but Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God 
could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right. In the sight of the Lord, I think is what he says. In the sight of the Lord. Man, that's kind of harsh. Right? How many of how, how fun do you think it'd be if someone was like, hey, Darren, you know, what if I pay you and you can teach me to be a, a, a pastor and we can set up a new church? And I was like, repent, you heathen. You need to get your heart right. He'd be like, dang, bro. <laughs> Tone it down, man. Come on. But Peter don't play no games. I like Peter. We'd be homeboys. Um, here's the thing, though. Yes, Simon, it says that Simon believed. What exactly did Simon believe? I don't know. Jesus is the Christ. There is a living God. Right? He does save. Simon believed. And it says that he was baptized and that he followed Philip. That sounds good. Right? 90% of the churches in the world would say, oh, he's going to heaven. He said he believed. He got baptized. He's following the pastor. Guy's going to heaven. Guaranteed. Okay? But the word of God also says that from the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. From the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. And so Simon shows in, in, in the, what he's asking the apostles for, that there's still an issue, an unresolved issue in his heart before the Lord. And that he hasn't fully surrendered, possibly, to the gospel. Maybe he hasn't really given his allegiance to Jesus, but that his desire seems to be for fame and power. And that this is just another opportunity. And this is, this is what Peter sees. Peter sees this. And look at this. Look what he says. He says, may your money perish with you. What does that imply about Simon? Anybody? That he's perishing. That he's going to perish. Peter says, may your money perish with you. Because you thought the gift of God could be purchased. Now that's an issue. And it's an issue because we have the same thing today. The same thing today, that people think the gifting of God can be purchased through a degree, through a seminar, through a webinar, right? I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me calm down. The point is, Peter saw that there was an issue with his heart, and he addressed it. Verses 22 through 23. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps... The thought of your heart, there it is again, his heart, right? If perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. This is what Peter says. He says, I see that you're poisoned with bitterness and that you're bound in iniquity. You're poisoned with bitterness. You're bound with iniquity. You need to repent, man. You need to repent. Right, so what, what's really going on here is Peter's commanding him to repent because his motive and his desires of his heart were wicked. And that's the thing that we have to be conscious of as Christians, is what is really the motive and desire of your heart? Because that alone, not your works, not your words, right? Not whether you can respond correctly to the religious questions. The motive of your heart is that pure before God. Because Jesus sees that. And you will be judged by that. 
And so Peter sees this, you know, and in verse 23, it says he was poisoned by bitterness. He was bound in iniquity. Now, we don't necessarily get that from the story, but Peter could, Peter saw this, right? And so Peter's command is to repent. Now, this is important, and I've probably said this before. I I know I've said this before, that time and time again, I run into Christians who have all the right answers, They can quote probably just as many Bible verses as anybody in this room. They've been in church. And yet when the Lord tells me to confront them with their sin, they say, what do I do? I don't know what to do. I say, repent. And they say, what does that mean? What do I do? Right? That's, That's the reality. We know the command. We hear the words. But when it comes down to it, what does it mean? And so when Peter tells this man he has to repent, that doesn't mean say, I'm sorry. Like, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I went out last night. Let's talk again Sunday after I go out tomorrow night, okay? And I'll say I'm sorry again. I really will. Never does, do they say, say sorry. Doesn't even mean knowing that you're do, what you're doing is wrong and feeling guilty about it. Feeling guilty is not repentance. Right? That just means... You feel guilty. But what repentance means, and if you don't, if you want to see the best uh, description of repentance I've ever read, it's in Ezekiel chapter 18. And I'm not going to read it for you tonight, but if you're interested, go read it yourself. If you don't have a Bible, we've got plenty in the back. But basically what repentance is, is it yes, it starts maybe with conviction, but it's, it's casting off those things which God has convicted your heart about, right? It's mourning for the issues of your life. It's allowing yourself to, you know what, let the pride fall and realize, man, this is not the way I'm going and allow your heart to break over that. And then it's surrendering to Jesus in a way where he's, his Holy Spirit is free to change your heart. Because if your life, if your heart, if your attitude doesn't change, you did not repent. I don't care what prayer you said. So Peter tells this man, repent, man, because there's an issue in your heart. And this is the thing for all of us. Sin is birthed not in a dark room, not in a drug house, right? Not at a crime scene. Sin is birthed in your heart. It's conceived right here. And either it gets cast out or it gives birth. And the Bible says that when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Right? Wages of sin is death. It doesn't change because you're a Christian. I'm sorry. But here's the thing, man. Y'all ready for some good news now? The good news is that Jesus, literally God himself, came and became a man and was suffered and suffered and was beaten, was tortured, was even murdered unrighteously on a cross on a wooden altar for your guilt for your shame for your mistakes yesterday today and guess what tomorrow they're already paid for man it's crazy right jesus literally died for you to be cleansed for you to be forgiven but jesus did not die for you to stay in the things which he forgave you right he died to pull you out of those things 
One of my favorite sayings is the gospel didn't stop at the cross, right? Jesus is coming again. There is another kingdom. You will re be rewarded or lose reward based on your obedience. But Jesus died to save you now from yourself and from your sin and from your circumstance, right? That's why Jesus says, I came to give life and life more abundantly. And you know what true peace is? True peace is going before God and having a clear conscience, having a pure heart. That is what peace is, man, right? And it takes repentance. So here's the, here's the good and the bad. <clears throat> the good is Jesus is always with you. No matter where you go, no matter what you're doing, no matter who threatens you, no matter what the fear is, Jesus is always with you. He never leaves you. He never takes his eyes off you. That's the good. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. That was his promise, that he would never leave you or forsake you. Now, you ready for the bad? <laughs> well, I mean, it's only bad if you let it be bad, really. Um, because of that, Jesus sees everything you do. He hears every word you speak, and he knows every intention of your heart. So, you know, you may be able to fool me, whatever. You may be able to fool your family, your coworkers. But Christ stands and he sees your heart bare and open. And there is nothing hidden in the sight of God. In fact, it's actually the job of the Holy Spirit to reveal hidden things of the heart. Did you know that? That's what conviction is. Conviction in your life is the Holy Spirit revealing the secrets of your heart to you to make you look at them. Right? To make you look at them. It's like when a guy is, you know, say he's smoking himself to death. He goes to the doctor. The doctor mails him his report. Says he has stage four cancer. If he doesn't stop smoking, he is going to die. He might die anyways. But you know what? He doesn't really care. In fact, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to know if he's dying or not because he wants to smoke. So he leaves, the, he leaves the envelope on the table, doesn't even open it. Conviction is when his wife opens it and shoves it in his face and say, look, look, you have cancer. You need to stop. It's for your good. There's a treatment available. There's a chance you'll make it. Okay, maybe he doesn't have stage four. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever, okay? There's a chance you'll make it. We can deal with this. That's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And conviction is him revealing the depths of your heart to you. However, what you might or may, may not be aware of is that the Holy Spirit will reveal the secrets of your heart to other people. He will. Especially if you're connected to a body. And by the way, that's good. Shouldn't, shouldn't fear that, right? And this is what happens here. That as he comes in, Simon says, Man, that's an amazing power. He doesn't call it a gift. He doesn't call it a ministry. He says, that's an amazing power, and I want it. I will pay you for that power. Now, it's enough to hear that and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. But even more so, the Holy Spirit gives Peter insight, and Peter sees the depth of his heart, right? And he sees that it's wicked, and that even though he's doing all these religious things, that there's an unresolved issue before God still in his heart. And so Peter commands him that you need to repent so that you may be forgiven. That's the key. Repent so you may be forgiven, right? 
Sur- surrender your heart. Cast off the things that cause you to stumble and, to, and th- that defile you. So Acts 24, or 8.24, this was Simon's answer. Look at this. So he says, man, you need to repent, right? And then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Man. Now, is that repentance? Did he repent? I don't know. doesn't really tell us. But that looks like a pretty good start, huh? That looks like a pretty good start. If nothing else, he understood that what he was doing was wrong and that there was a consequence he was going to have to pay because he was saying, man, pray for me that those things don't happen. That's conviction. There are people... Maybe in this room, I don't know. Who need to start there? At least admitting that the things that people are telling you or the things that God is pricking your heart about are true about you. And that if you will open your heart to him, that he will help you change your heart so that you will be forgiven. If not, God does judge people here in the flesh, right? Even if you save and you go into heaven, maybe hell's not even an option for you. God will judge you in your flesh. If you, if you choose not to change your heart before him. Because God does everything for your good, not for your comfort. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right. All right. Cool. I just want you to know that all of us that raise our hands, that means we're screwing up apparently. Because, you know, no. So here's the conclusion, guys. We need to be very careful, okay? We need to be very careful, and we need to set up a practice. You need to have this understanding that you need to check and test your motives and test your heart before the Lord. You need to ask yourself every now and then, what am I really doing? What am I really seeking? What am I actually trying? Not what am I telling people? Not, you know, what does it look like? In my heart, what was really the purpose for me doing this? What was it? And if it's self-seeking, you need to cast it away. You need to cast it away. Because we can put a Christian cover on anything and say it's for the Lord, right? Jesus sees right through that. Don't even try it. Check this out. I was a car salesman, okay? So if you see me driving a Cadillac, I'm not rich. I just happen to be work at a Cadillac dealership and get a really good deal, okay? I used to be a car salesman. I quit my job as a car salesman to be a professional fighter. Got my license, started training, was getting sponsorships. And in my sponsorship, I even put a cross on there with a verse from Luke. And I, I, I gave myself, I was going to give myself the fight name, Darren the Faithful Miller, right? For real, this is a true story. I'm not lying to you, I swear. Okay? And in this, in this, what I was really trying to do, I wanted to fight more than anything. I woke up and I went to sleep every night thinking about fighting. I used to pass people at high school and I'd look at someone in the hallway. I wasn't even mad at them. I didn't want to hurt the guy, nothing like that. And I would just visualize me beating the snot out of him. And I was visualized doing it in like three different ways and how I would react to stuff because I just loved to do it. I wasn't necessarily violent. Shush. Okay, but the point is, stop it. <laughs> the point is, uh, 
the point is, I was trying to cover my desire in Jesus, hoping that that would make him blessed. Really. It's pretty easy for me to tell you now. I wouldn't probably wouldn't have said it then. I was trying to cover what I was doing in Jesus' name, hoping that he would bless it. Don't ever waste your time doing that. Just don't. Jesus does not need your help glorifying himself. And if you're not going to do it his way, he don't need you. He wants you. He wants all of you. Don't get, don't get what I'm saying twisted. He doesn't need your help. You know, one of my favorite things to ask people is, I ask people, you know, hey, you willing to give your life to Jesus, yada, yada, yada. And they'll be like, well, I'm just not ready, man. I feel like there's more I need to do. I'm like, cool. Okay. And I always ask him this. Let me ask you something. What does God need from you? What does God need from you? And a lot of times, well, love. I'm like, oh, so if he doesn't get your love, he's going to stop existing. Oh, well, uh, I guess not. So what does God need from you? You know what the answer is? Nothing. He needs nothing from you, and you have nothing to give him. Anything you gave him, he, he made. It's his. He don't need you. He does all of this because he loves you. That's it. Right? We're just selfish. We don't always see that. So God doesn't need us. And so putting a, putting a Christian cover on things, getting, check this out, going your own way without God's permission, when maybe you know you shouldn't do it, and then praying for him to bless it afterwards also does not work. I've done it several times. Don't do it. Okay. So let's recap, because I got a little off base there. Three things I want you to pull from this, if nothing else. Okay, three things. The first thing is that you cannot buy the gifting or anointing of God. You cannot. Okay? You cannot pick up God's spirit at a workshop. So what am I talking about? Some people see the gifts and callings of others. Right? You've got churches where that tell you, man, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. And so you know what they do? They take a class. And they learn to speak in tongues. And suddenly they're holy. Uh, I don't know about that. Some people see the gifts and callings that God gives others, and they want the, the get-rich-quick formula for spiritual gifts. They want the get-rich-quick uh, get formula for holiness, right? No work, no investment, no sacrifice. They just want glory. And so what they do is they envy the gifting of another without realizing that God has a gift for you, and when you do it, it's going to be better than that gift because you weren't made for that gift okay and what that is really it's a wicked and it's a lustful thing that happens to people in their heart running after someone else's ministry or gift okay god gives and equips as he wills and if you really want to be used by god if you really want a ministry don't look around at other people's because you're not going to get that you really want it you seek it out between you and him. You seek God for it. If you're not willing to do that, well, I don't know what to tell you, man. The second thing I want you to take away from this tonight is uh, working or doing Christian service, doing Christian things, having a religion, right? 
but doing it with a self-seeking heart, God says that's iniquity. That's sin. That's what Peter tells this man. He's bound by iniquity. Right? That's what he says to Simon. I want you to think about, uh, about that because Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? What did Simon want? He wanted power, right? 23, verse 23. Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Whew. It's not good. Doing Christian service, being a worker for the Lord, quote unquote, and doing it for in your with the wrong motives is sin. And here's the thing, if if we're not willing to check ourselves and see, hey man, is is my is my heart, is my motive really faithful? Am I really seeking God's glory in this? You've been in a good spot. If you're not willing to do that and you're gonna allow everybody in this room is gonna have this issue at one point, okay? I'm not saying this to make you feel bad or condemn, nothing like that. What I'm saying is for you, when you, when you see, not if, when you see that there is self-seeking in your heart for what you're doing, stop, confess it to the Lord, and ask him to take it out. Right? I'm not telling you this so you just feel bad. I'm like, well, I'm going to hell. No, 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 no. You, Jesus will deal with it if you let him. He will. That's, that's what he wants for us is restoration. But if your motives aren't holy and faithful, nothing you do will be crazy final thing Jesus came to heal to forgive right to restore he gave to get he came to give you a new life that's what he came to do but you have to be willing to repent you have to be willing to feel convicted to allow and say you know what I'm guilty and give it to God so he can change your heart. You have to be willing to do that. In fact, you need to learn to be eager to do that. You need to be le- learn to be eager to repent because it's God's restoration. Check this out. One last verse for y'all. 1 John 3, 20 through 22. It says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. Beloved, If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. Man, I like that. If your heart is convicted by the Lord, it's not for your condemnation. Jesus came to save, not to judge, man. He will one day, trust me. But now it's for your good. If your heart is convicted by the Lord, it's his mercy to bring you to your salvation or to sanctify you in your spirit. But you have to be, on, be willing to be honest with yourself and God, and you have to be willing to change. Amen? Let's pray tonight. Father God, I thank you for this night. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this message, Father.
because uh, I had to hear it first, Lord. Um, you always, uh, you always deal with me before you deal with the people here. And I just pray for all of us, Father God, that if there's an issue of our heart, maybe it has nothing to do with this sermon, but it came up in our head. It came up in our heart tonight. If there's an issue, I just pray that you would humble us and you would allow us to pour it out to you and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, change my heart. Lord, I need your help to change because I can't do it on my own. Provide it for me so that I can walk with you faithfully. And Lord, if anybody here doesn't know you, just inspire them with your spirit tonight. Give them the understanding that you are the only true God. You are the only way to heaven and that salvation is a free gift to all who are willing to turn away and just follow you and say, I'm guilty, but I need you to save me. Thank you, Jesus. So for all of us tonight, Lord, I pray that you bless us, that you give us wisdom, that you give us a heart after your own heart, that we wouldn't be self-seeking, but that we would seek you in all our ways. So empower us to do this in the, in, uh, the power of your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.